I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me for episode 220 of the show is Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's going on, man? Not much. I uh, survived a tornado last night. What? That was, uh, n- near Chicago. So, yeah. That was That's not scary. something you hear every day. No, no. Did it actually touch down? It did. Yeah. Wow. That's it crazy. Was yeah, it like it was, Twister? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't know. Um, I was far enough south um, that we just got like a really, really bad storm and our street flooded. Mm. Um, but yeah, there were, it touched down in Naperville and like ran through uh, Naperville and like another town. Wow. So yeah, a little too close for comfort. Yeah, I've actually like been to Naperville from Chicago, so I know exactly where you're talking about. So that is kind of scary close. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I was far enough in the city that it was just a whole lot of rain and a big old storm, but still not, not great. Not no. great with the flood. 
No, that's not great. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that you are faring okay. I did not have any storms down here. Uh, the only storm was uh, dropping two out of three from uh, the Royals <laughs> <laughs> to, to bring it back to the Red Sox here. Um, not so great there, um, but you know the Red Sox have their whole future in front of them right now. And we're going to be talking about that on the show tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming series against Tampa Bay, uh, the Yankees coming up after that. We're going to be talking about Jaron Duran, Wander Franco, um, some roster stuff, Garrett Richards. We'll talk about the reduced spin rate, and then we'll get to your listener questions. So we've got a whole lot of good stuff to talk about today, but let's start with the upcoming series. Red Sox have three games to play against the Tampa Bay Rays this week, uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, and then they have uh, a three-game set at home versus the Yankees. Uh, they're a half game up on the Rays, who have lost six in a row. They are four and a half games up on the Yankees, who are six and four in their last ten games. Um, but, you know, within striking distance here. Um, let me ask you, Keaton. Um, it feels obvious to me that the Rays series is more important. Do you agree with that? More important than the Yankees? Yeah. Yeah. Battling yeah. for first. Yeah, it, it, exactly. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with the Yankees surging a little bit here and um, Tampa Bay and, you know, losing six games in a row, really it feels like the, the Tyler Glass now news completely took it out of this team. I mean, who do you think is the more dangerous team right now out of these two? Tampa, for sure. So... <clears throat> Tampa started their offense, started off the season incredibly slow, and was kind of one of like the bottom offenses in the league. Since then, they have caught fire like a madman. Austin Meadows is crushing it. Uh, they're about to get an even an influx of offense, calling up Wander Franco. But they had been on such a tear that they are now uh, fifth in Major League Baseball in offense. The Red Sox are sixth. They have passed the Red Sox. Wow, and that is that is frightening to me. <laughs> Yeah, that is frightening. Um, who who's doing it for them? Like I don't I don't you know I haven't really been following their their offense. Like who is who's been exploding that is causing this this offense to surge ahead? Uh, well, Austin Meadows is definitely one of them. Um, trying to pull this up on the fly, real quick. Uh, oh, Randy Arozarena, of course. Also okay. having a really good season. 10 homers, 11 steals, hitting 260. Um, Joey Wendell looks like he's having a nice little season for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it looks like just a bunch of what you would expect. Um, Mike Zanino hitting under 200, but second in homers for them. Brandon Lau also at 213 homers. Um so yeah, it's just uh, it's mainly Meadows and Rosarania, and then just a bunch of complimentary pieces having nice years. Yeah, it's kind of <clears throat> interesting because because looking at it, it doesn't look super impressive. Even Austin Meadows with the fifteen home runs, he's batting two thirty, three twenty five OBP, which is not crazy impressive. Um, you know, Rosarina, like you mentioned, just a three thirty eight OBP, but it, it seems like they must be delivering some timely hits because even their guys that are dealing with some relatively low averages have been delivering in the power department 13 home runs for Brandon Lau, uh, even though he's got a 202 average. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, 
it's uh it's it's a good team with good pitching and good bullpen so yeah it's it's going to be fascinating do you, how much energy do you think this wander injection is going to give to this team and are you concerned at all that they're going to you know immediately be rejuvenated by that for this Red Sox series because it's clear to me that's what the front office is trying to do here yeah and absolutely i'm worried about it <laughs> he's been the best prospect in all of baseball the last two years, like top five the last four years. Basically, I've just been waiting for this guy to arrive, and now he's finally here. Like, you can't help but be excited about that and be, like, he was crushing at AAA too, so it's not like they're trying to force the issue. He's been really good. They should be really excited that he's in the lineup, and he's real good chance he's going to continue to be really good while he's in the majors. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, if you're not familiar with Wander Franco, if you're you know somebody who just follows the Red Sox, which is a good chance if you're listening to this podcast, um, he is the consensus number one prospect in all of baseball, has been for the last couple of years. He's only 20 years old. Uh, Wander Franco this season has a 315 batting average, 367 slug, uh, five or I should say 367 OBP, 586 slug. There we go. That sounds a lot better. Uh, at AAA as a 20 year old, um, the you know the average age of somebody at AAA is is, is a lot closer to like 24, 25 yep. uh, than it is <laughs> 20. So that in and of itself is ridiculously impressive. But the other thing that's impressive about this year for him is just the sheer number of extra base hits. He's already got 11 doubles, uh, six freaking triples, and seven home runs uh, to go along with five steals. And he's only striking out at a, a 11.9% uh, rate. So this is a very rare mix of incredible uh, hit tool plus uh, some really great power and some pretty decent speed too. He's an electric player. Yeah, Major League Baseball has given out 280 grades since they started doing all of this prospect tracking in like uh, like 2009 or 10. Um, one 80-grade hit tools. One was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., mm-hmm. who we all see what he's doing this year. It's just bizarre. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And the other was Wonder Franco. Mm. So if you're looking for a comp, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Where do you think he's going to slot in for the Rays in terms of batting order? Because right now they've got Lau leading off and uh, G-Man Choi second, Rosarena and Austin Meadows uh, three and four. Um, that is a really good question. Um, certainly at the top somewhere. Because he's a switch hitter, so he can kind of go anywhere, right? Yeah, um, I would put him right at the top, I think. And You'd then, have him lead uh, off. Yeah, and drop Lau to second and Choi to fifth. Okay, interesting. I, or, I, I, I mean, top two seems like a good spot for him. I like him, Rosarania, and Meadows are all kind of like power speed guys right in a row. That's a, that's a devastating middle of the order. Yeah, it really is. I, I would personally, I think I'd have him hit second uh, right away because I think there's a little bit of added pressure to being the leadoff guy. Um and also, you want your best hitter to hit uh, second. So, you know, like, what better sort of, uh, you know, faith can you put in the kid to be like, all right, here you go. You're number two hitter for the next 20 years. Here you go. Well, actually, not 20. Just until your service time is up and you actually need a real <laughs> contract. And then a, a different team will sign you. Yeah, for the next five years. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then also, I mean, not to go <laughs> berserk here, but Vidal Bruhan is also not far off. And like the top four of Bruhan, Franco, Arosarena, and Meadows at the top of the order is an absurd amount of hitting at the top of an order. Rays yeah. are only going to get tougher <laughs> more the season goes. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully the Red Sox are catching them at the right time. The Wander thing does scare me. But the Red Sox are not without, uh, you know, a move to make of their own. And, and a lot has been made of whether or not the Red Sox ought to call up Jaron Duran is sort of a response to this. Um, Matt Collins wrote a great article about this today up at Over the Monster. So I urge you to go check that one out. Um, but the long and short of it is Red Sox, when they have typically promoted big prospects like Jaron Duran, uh, have done so on West Coast trips to give it a little bit less uh, scrutiny for the player. But I kind of think that, you know, with this being such an important stretch this week against these two teams, um, that the Red Sox could use the energy of promoting their top prospect. Uh, what are your thoughts on promoting Jaron Duran right now? Yeah, I mean, I am fully on board with that, not just for, like, the the influx of... Uh, or attitude, spark, whatever you want to call it, chemistry. Um, but the Red Sox have a massive hole at a leadoff position in their lineup that Jared Duran could fill. So, like, it wouldn't just be the, oh, let's get the young kid up here and get everybody excited. Like, he legitimately fills a void in this lineup. He should be there to fill. <laughs> yeah, so, it's a big need right yeah, now. Yeah, it's not, it wouldn't just be, like, a ceremonious promotion, like, he would have utility and function in this lineup every day for the Boston Red Sox and be able to contribute. So, yeah, I would love it because this is a really important stretch of games here against teams that they're fighting for the division with. Yeah, I'm totally on board with you. Um, I've been wanting him to be promoted. This is exactly the sort of time that I was expecting him to be promoted, sort of late late June, early July uh, time period, so I don't think it's rushing it. Um, like you mentioned, Keaton, there's a very real need. And one of the reasons why there's a very real need in the leadoff spot is not only because we haven't been able to figure out a consistent person for that spot uh, this year, but Christian Arroyo, who has, has taken that spot over the last couple days, uh, had a collision with Kike uh, and, and really banged up his legs. So it's unclear to me whether or not Arroyo could potentially even need an IL stint at this point. So that leadoff spot is not only still not figured out, but it could very well be vacant. And and that's a big deal, too, because over the last month here, uh, during June, Christian Arroyo has been very important for the Red Sox. He's got a 127 WRC plus over that span, which is second best uh, on the team with four home runs and 14 RBIs here in June. He's still been striking out a lot, um, but he's been productive at the plate. So that's a big gap. Uh, that needs to be filled. Yeah, it is. And Jaron Duran could absolutely fill it. And I just, I I don't want it to be seen as like a, oh, they're calling up Wander. We need to call up Duran. Like, it's, he would fill an actual role for the team that they really need to kind of get this turned around. The pitching has been the focus. Um, 
over the past couple weeks because it's been really bad. Uh, but the lineup has kind of struggled itself. So it's not really let off the hook. Like they, what were, they were at like two or three runs a game against Kansas City. It's awful, awful Kansas City pitching. That was a god-awful series all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the offense needs a jolt as well. I mean, the pitching is really only going to get a jolt via trade. Um, but you have somebody you can promote from within to give a jolt to the entire lineup and then also actually serve a purpose in the batting order at the top and kind of turn things over to the rest of the lineup. That's been just a massive miss all season long. So um, there, I feel like there's too many pros. I totally agree with you. And and uh, to get back to that point that you were just talking about how the, the lineup has been scuffling a little bit, um, you know, dating back to the beginning of June till now. So we're talking about uh, guys who have played usually between 14 and 18 games during this stretch. Uh, Xander Bogarts leads the way with a 143 WRC plus. No surprises. I already mentioned Royal was second. Bobby Dahlbeck is third during that span with a 126 WRC plus. So he's really uh, come into his own. He's slugging 554 during that time period. So he's doing well. Uh, Devers checks in behind him at 119. Verdugo behind him at 115. These are all the names you expect to hear. Uh, Dahlbeck being the only surprise there. Following him, Hunter Renfro at 102. Uh, but then we have Kike Hernandez at 89 WRC+, plus, not delivering any power, really. Um, J.D. Martinez, who's been scuffling kind of kind of mightily, even, I would say. Uh, 88 WRC+, plus, Vasky at 86, Plowecki at 65. Marwin, who stands to gain playing time right now from Arroyo, 52 WRC+, plus with really no power. And then Danny freaking Santana, who is somehow still on this roster, Negative 18 WRC plus in the month of June. That guy is a complete dead spot on this lineup right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure is. And this is kind of like what we talked about with Santana. He had one incredible year in 2019. The rest of his uh, career was pretty bleak. Um, His utility ability was appealing to the Red Sox. Low risk, high reward. If it didn't work, it didn't work. And I think you and I even actually talked about it on one of the previous episodes of this podcast. Like, gives any Santana some run. If it doesn't work out, dump him, call up Durant. Yep. We're there. We're there yeah. now. <laughs> we are We are absolutely at that exact point we talked about. You are 100% right. Yeah. And, and it seems clear to me, like, it's not only you're doing this because you need a leadoff guy and because you need energy. Duran threw 145 plate appearances, is hitting 286, 379, 627 with 12 homers. And as Matt points out on his article, that's a 50 homer pace for 600 plate appearances. And that's not even including how he's <laughs> dominated at Team USA as well. So this dude is like, and he's just coming off the first walk off at Polar Park. Like, what better time to get this guy in the lineup, right? Walk it off to the majors, baby. Seriously, and you know he was dying to get that shirt off too. I don't know if you saw the pictures of him ripping his shirt off after the walk off, but I I have a feeling that Jaron Duran takes any opportunity possible to take his shirt off. How good would it feel to have a three seventy OBP or three eighty OBP in the leadoff spot? Uh, I mean, that would be amazing. Of course, <laughs> of course, that's probably not a. A realistic expectation for him at the major league level but you have to 
think that it's going to be, be a whole lot than better than. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the thing, right? I mean, he's he's got power, he's got speed, he's a great base runner. Um, there's a whole lot to like here, and you know, even talking about um, the fact that he strikes out a little bit. You know, he's got a 24 percent strikeout rate right now. Um, Christian Arroyo, who they've been using in that spot in June, 31.5% K rate in June. Okay. That's not great. Kike, uh, who they've used a lot of the season, 27.4% K rate. So it's not like you would really be downgrading all that much in the strikeout department with Duran either. And I think the, the pluses are just far too, far too big. Yeah. I can't even- think of any cons. Neither can I. <laughs> um, Marwin also has been, he's had a couple, uh, a handful of games in the leadoff spot, and he's at 24.5 for a strikeout rate. 24 strikeout rate nowadays is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's yeah. not It's not so bad. I mean, you like to see it under 20, but uh, he gets on base at a significantly higher rate so that it does not matter how much he strikes out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. And and you know what? We have to start planning out for where he's going to play. Um, let's just say Jaron Duran does get the call. Uh, it seems like left field is probably the best position for him, shifting uh, Verdugo to center field, uh, and then uh, Renfro to right field. Is is that what you'd go with, or would you go with Kike in center field still and, and do something else? Yeah, no, that's definitely what I would go go with. So then that begs the question, do we just put Kike back where he was supposed to play all year at second base while Arroyo is dealing with his injury and maybe call up Michael Chavis uh, to fill in a bench role? I mean, would you I, – I think I'm, I know the answer to this, but would you prefer <laughs> Chavis on the roster now to Danny Santana? I would. <laughs> I'm sure that's a shock, but I would. Yeah. Well, it just seems to make sense, too, because if if you have um, Marwin and Kike still in the lineup, plus adding Duran to the mix, that's enough guys to kind of cover the outfield. Yeah. And you have to dump someone off the 40-man roster for Duran, right? Is he, is he not on the 40-man right now? Um, let me just double-check. I do According not to Roster he Resource, he's not highlighted, so I don't believe... No. That he means he is on the 40 man. So, yeah, you'd have to open it up uh, at some point. So, I would, the, the two most likely candidates for me, uh, up until yesterday when all the, uh, everybody collided and fell apart, uh, was Matt Endries. And I would say it's either him or Santana. Yeah, I think, I think it makes sense. Uh, dump Santana. I would probably try and keep Andres. Um And I would think that. If there's a move to be made with either Ploiecki or uh, Arroyo to the IL temporarily, uh, that's that's your avenue to bringing up Michael Chavis. Um, and then you figure out the rest later. I think we should talk about um, Ploiecki too. He came up a little bit lame uh, on Sunday with a um, hamstring issue, it looked like. It looked like maybe a right hamstring. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, but there's a few options down at... Uh, AAA, who are kind of interesting. First of all, Connor Wong, uh, one of the prospects that came over in the Dodgers trade, Mookie Betts. Um, you know, he's down there. He's on the 40-man, so he's somebody that they could look at. 
But a couple other um, maybe more realistic options are two guys who are not on the 40-man right now, Chris Herman and Jet Bandy, uh, two guys that you could call up and then just simply DFA uh, after their time. Um, so what do you think is the most likely situation um, if if Kevin Ploiecki has to miss any time? Um, I would th- I would think Wong because he's already on the 40 man. Yeah. Uh would make the most sense. I don't necessarily know if he's ready, but um he also um could have some at bats at second base too. So he has that utility factor associated to him. I would like to see Wong cuz I'd like to see him at the major league level and see what we could get out of him. Um and there's that the, the clear path to promotion because he's already on the 40 man. Um but at the same time, I again, it wouldn't wouldn't uh, hurt me one bit to see uh, Matt Andres or Danny Santana at the F eight, and then that <laughs> that slot backfilled. So, uh, either wanna, way they want to go, I think is going to work for me. Do you want to um, take a little guess as to what Connor Wong's WRC plus is at Triple uh, A right now? Uh, well, I'm guessing since you're asking me, like seventy three. 73 would be excellent for him. Uh, oh, no, darn it, it is 10. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's struggling, man. Uh, it's not It's not like you'd be bringing up um, any of these guys, particularly for, you know, the bat. <laughs> it's just an emergency, you know, break glass in case of emergency type thing. For me, I would lean towards Herman or Bandy just to continue to let Wong develop. Uh, and just, I don't care about Herman or, or Bandy, so I don't care if you lose them. Um, and I think that, you know, the fact that those guys are 33 with Herman and 31 with Jet Bandy, that would be a little bit more comfortable for me in terms of just handling this pitching staff. I didn't realize that Wong only has, uh, 40 games at double A. Yeah. He's, he's pretty un, unseasoned at this point. Yeah. The triple A was a pretty aggressive assignments so i'm not surprised to see that yeah it, they, they probably should not go that direction <laughs> yeah yeah he uh he might be a, a tad overwhelmed um but i still like the player long term and i think he he's uh he's good fit for the organization um it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so moving on from that topic, I wanted to touch on uh, the pitching as we we have to um, because it's just become such a thing. Um, Garrett Richards 
has seen his spin rate go down quite a bit in the last start. Um, and I have his rolling spin rates right here by game. Um, so the spin rate on his fastball had been, or I should say, yeah, fastball, a four-seamer, has been somewhere around like 2,600 RPMs-ish for most of the year. Uh, his last start, that dipped down to 2338. Uh, it hadn't been that low since uh, actually ever. That's the lowest point of the season. But the only other start of the season where his spin rates were similar to what they were in his last start was the very first start of the season on April 4th, where his fastball had a 2416 uh, spin rate. The slider was down as well. That was down to 2620. Um, that had been hovering around, uh, 2960 ish, 2900 RPMs. And then he didn't even throw the curveball at all, uh, which has been a, a super high spin rate pitch for him. Uh, 3,338 RPMs on that sucker. Didn't throw a single one, uh, in his last outing. Uh, how concerned should we be about Mr. Garrett Richards, the spin doctor? Very concerned. You cannot survive as a major league pitcher with two pitches. That's no. just not going to work. And not only that, if you have two pitches that are ineffective, that is a recipe for disaster. So I yeah. don't feel great. No, it's it's not good. Um, and, and in June, he's thrown 20 uh, in a third innings to a 5.75 ERA. Um, that is not good either. No, it is not. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned, um, particularly in the fact that his whip has been so high. He's just getting hit uh, at an incredible rate during that time span. Batting average against 341, whip 192. Um, that's an absurd amount of contact being made against him. Yeah, that, that is quite a lot. Yeah. And also, like, his comments after the game, too. I think I also mentioned... Um, on the precap after his last start that um, he, I think, is a candidate for an injury with these changes too, um, like we saw with Tyler Glass now, and he, you know, directly attributed the not having anything to grip the baseball with and why he ended up getting hurt. Like Garrett Richards has a history of elbow and shoulder problems, and if not having something to grip the ball is causing him to, like, alter his grip, and now he's throwing – balls differently that kind of exactly like the Glasnow uh, incident is kind of a recipe for an injury so I, I don't feel great about his effectiveness or his durability yeah I, I don't either um, and you know what's worrisome too is that it seems like this this ineffectiveness did start even though the spin rate stuff didn't show up um, and, until just this past start it does seem like the ineffectiveness started basically when that memo went out to all the coaches at the beginning of June because he had his first start of June on June 1st, and he had his four highest hard hit percentages or four of his highest hard hit percentages, three of them are the highest that he's had of the season um, in in the next four starts. So he, he had a 71.4% hard hit rate, 56.3, 69.6, and 66.7. Um, the, the first one I mentioned in the last two were the three highest hard hit percentages of the season for him. Um, just very worrisome in terms of the way things are trending there. Yeah. 
not trending in a great direction. That coupled with uh, the issues at the the other back end rotation pitchers, uh, and we got ourselves uh, a little struggle stew going. Yeah, you know, I was I was really happy to see Martin Perez bounce back, um, and I think that was what Saturday's win uh, when Martin Perez pitched pretty well, um, and and I wasn't sure what to expect from him. He's looked very good throughout most of the season, and the changeup was working for him again. So, you know, I feel pretty good about the rest of the guys. I guess the guy who scares me the most is is Garrett Richards uh, out of all these guys because. We know Erod can do it when he's right. We know what Perez is, and he's kind of a a guy who relies on a bit more guile. He's a bit of an old school pitcher, anyway. He's he's kind of a guy who relies on spotting balls. But Garrett Richards is a true like modern day spin guy. You know, like that's that's what makes him great, and that's what made me have more faith in him than anybody else uh, on this roster when he was able to do whatever he wanted to do and get those spin rates. But uh, now I think I'm more worried about him even than Nick Pavetta at this point. I don't know. Where are you at with Richards? I know you've been a fan forever. Like, how how yeah. worried are you out of that grouping? Well, this is a distinctive change for him. Like, and he talked about it, so it's hard to ignore it or just yeah. be like, oh, you know, it was just a game. Like, no, it's a legit change. This, this is kind of be how it goes going forward, and it's not great. So I'm, I'm the most worried about him, but I'm actually also, you know, pretty close to the same level worried about Martin Perez because over his last four starts, his spin rates have declined every single start. And his most recent start, although it was okay, uh, he had the lowest spin rates of the season on his changeup, sinker, four-seamer, and cutter. And there was only one start, his curveball was uh, lower. There was one random massive dip on May 5th. Um, otherwise it would be the, would have, would have been the lowest in his previous start. So, um, it seems like he may also be one of those guys because we got a listener question about, um, the spin rate guy. So I, I just looked up the, the season, um, season average spin rates, uh, per start for all five of the starters. Uh, and Perez was the only other one that really jumped out as something that's concerning because they, they all like consistently over his last four starts, have continued to drop. Now, that may also be an indicator that he's hurt mm. because that is one of the first telltale signs, signs of someone being injured trying to pitch to something is their spin rates drop, and it's not like a a distinctive all of a sudden sharp drop. Like, it's a consistent steady drop over four starts, so that may be an indicator that he's hurt. But either way, the decreased spin rates correlate to decreased effectiveness. So whether it's because of the grip or he's hurt, I'm worried about that. It's not good. I'm really happy that the Red Sox hold team options on both Perez and Garrett Richards heading into next year. Um, so that makes me feel good that if things go to hell with these spin rates and it just seems like these guys can't figure it out uh, with the new bananas rules that baseball has, like baseball all of a sudden pearl clutching and not letting people doctor the ball like it has for the last hundred years. Um, man... I don't know. At least, at least they have an out to get out of the sixteen million combined that those two have on the books for next year. I guess that that opens up the question, Keaton. I mean, is it time for the Red Sox to to go out and aggressively pursue a starter now that there are two major question marks in addition to you know Pavetta and Erod struggling? Yes, 
particularly now with we have three weeks against uh, the other competitive teams in the division. Uh, this could either, uh, like the Yankees in, in Toronto, could climb all the way back into this division race, and it could be another four-horse race. Or they could all pass the Red Sox. <laughs> it's that tight, and there's that many games. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, looking at the standings right now, Toronto even, there are only seven back, uh, and there's just so many division games left in the future. Um, yeah, it seems like you got to got to be aggressive and that's another reason why you want to promote Duran and I think that this this lineup has shown this year with 24 comeback wins most in the major leagues they can slug their way out of situations they don't need the pitching to be perfect and I think teams like the Yankees uh in in Rays to a lesser degree I think the Rays have a lot more power as you mentioned their offense is pretty good but certainly the Yankees I mean they can't rely on their offense to bring them back in games but the Red Sox can, but you shouldn't only rely on that. That's that seems yeah. that seems very Blue Jays to only rely on that, and you know Blue Jays are five hundred right now. Yeah, exactly. That's a great comparison. This just actually popped into my head, and I'm curious your thoughts. So yeah. we've heard a lot of grumbles about the sticky stuff from players. Do you think that these new rules and implementations midway through a season like this? makes it more likely, less likely, or no effect to there being a lockout next year. More likely. CBA negotiations. Yeah, I feel the same. Not great. No, it's so stupid. It's so reactionary. Uh, Manfred is an idiot. Um, I I hate this. Um, You know, you cannot be a, a fan of baseball, I don't think. A true fan of baseball, somebody who follows baseball history, and like Pearl Clutch about cheating in baseball cheating in baseball is is a time-honored tradition you know it's just like (laughs) it pisses me off when people are like all right yeah let's uh let's start following the rules it's it's the whole thing is like okay is it a rule really you know don't doctor the baseball if everybody's been doctoring the baseball for like a hundred years and they don't enforce the rule you know, it's like it's like speeding. You know, you you go down the highway at sixty five and a sixty. Um, is a cop going to pull you over for going sixty five and a sixty? Probably not. So, is it really a rule? I don't think so. Uh, and that's the way that I feel about baseball right now. I just I hate where the game is currently. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue is that this came mid season. And they were they offered Major League Baseball that is offered no substitute uh, of their own, right? Like if How they had, they ha- God, yeah, go ahead, yep. You're <laughs> yeah. taking the words out of my mouth. Yep, I love it. Yeah, it's like how how are you going to just nix all of that and then not offer up a solution and to do it mid season? So now, like I mean, Tyler Glasnow really kind of said it great after his press conference. It was like you're you know setting us up for failure by trying this implementation and this year has already been injury prone because of the the shortened 2020 and how weird that was um and it's just kind of adding more issues more issues to things and to claim that something is a massive issue with the game of baseball and then not offer up an actual solution to it is i just don't understand what major league baseball is thinking i don't i just don't get it there, like, there's no possible reason for this to be the correct course of action. 
Nope, none at all. Uh, the league should mandate a particular substance that it approves to be used as the league-approved sticky stuff, and it should be the job of clubhouse attendants to clean off players' gloves of that sticky stuff at the end of games. So when they walk out to the mound for the first time, maybe the ump has to look at their glove and make sure that it has been properly cleaned from the night or time before and that whatever they're applying to their glove is the league-mandated substance. Sure. But, like, we cannot have pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour without control of their pitches, and we can't slow the game down anymore. It's so stupid. One of the things that Garrett Richards mentioned in his, you know, press conference that, you know, a lot of people thought came off a little bit whiny was like, hope you guys like four-hour baseball games. Guess what, dude? I don't. I don't like four-hour baseball games unless they're Red Sox-Yankees games from the early 2000s. And guess what? (laughs) Those aren't coming back. (laughs) They were only four hours because there was a 45-minute fight. (laughs) Oh, man. It's it's not great, man. You'd think we'd we'd have had a happier tone to this podcast with the the Red Sox being in first place. But Manfred had to go (laughs) ahead and try and single-handedly wreck baseball. Yeah. Nice to see Bogart's endeavors leading the all-star balloting too, so yeah, good like for them. That. There's a yeah. happy note for us. More <laughs> of that. Yeah, more of that, indeed. Uh, let's get to our listener questions here. We've already kind of uh, answered the one from Red Sox Thoughts on what roster moves do you predict with the Royal and Ploiecki uh, hurt. I, I think you know we talked about that in depth, so that's probably... Uh, All good, but let's get to the first one here from a great big lark. He has two questions. He says, I hear this team compared to 2013 a lot, which I get, but they had at least two reliable quality starters that were critical in the World Series run. Uh, Even with sale and training for a starter, do you think that could be enough for a World Series run? Are the odds good enough to trade a good prospect? Uh, Asking is someone on the fence who at times think this team has what it takes with better starting pitching, while at other times thinking the risk of this team getting crushed in the playoffs is too high to trade a prospect like Downs. And, and I think he mentions Downs in particular because, Keaton, we mentioned being like open to the idea of trading Downs if we were getting somebody like a Scherzer back. So how do you, yeah. how do you think about this? Yeah, so to answer the first part, um, yes, I think that two quality starters could make that difference. Um, I mean, look at where they are with the pitchers that they have. And if like Chris Sale comes back and it's Chris Sale and they add Max Scherzer, I would feel way more comfortable about their position in the division and uh, them having to play a game against Houston or a series against Houston. Uh, they would match up against them so much better, and I'd feel great about it. So I think I, with because of the offense that they have, it's so freaking good. That's a World Series caliber offense, but... The pitching has just lagged so far behind it. So if like if Chris Sale comes back and is Chris Sale, and you add somebody like Max Scherzer, yeah, I think that does it. Much bigger question mark depending on who you get. And uh, with each passing day, I become less and less confident that they'll land Max Scherzer because I think their best chance was to jump on him early, and that does not serve Nationals at all. <laughs> They're best served waiting for the best offers to come in right before the deadline and someone overpaying. So... I feel like that's not going to happen, so they're going to have to go in a different direction. And that becomes a bigger question mark for me. Uh, but I think if Erod and Avaldi are your three and four in your rotation, that's a hell of a good rotation. So, uh, especially in a playoff series. So, yeah. I think 
with Sale coming back and adding a, a, a number one and number two starter to this team that they definitely could. And I feel like, or not feel like, I have been the pessimist of the of the two of us. Uh, so I feel like if I feel that way, I feel like you also got to feel that way. Yeah, and and I also feel like if you called up the Nationals and offered Mike Rizzo Jeter down straight up for half a year of control of Max Scherzer, he's going to do that deal. I don't think he's going to wait. So I think it just it has to do with whether or not uh, you feel like pushing the chips in. And, and I do because I feel like, you know, I'm looking at the 2013 Red Sox. Uh, I think Scherzer is better than Lester, who was your one during that time. I think your lackey can be Nate Eovaldi. I think yeah. Sale actually is a good comparison to what you got from Clay Buckholtz because I don't think we can expect Sale coming off Tommy John to be vintage Sale right away. But I think no. that he can be brilliant at times, a la Clay Buckholtz, uh, in, in that run. So I, I don't think that that is that absurd of a comparison uh, between those those kind of those guys. Well, you included Max Scherzer in that, so <laughs> there's there's a gap. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, if if you can pull it off, if you can pull off the Scherzer thing, yes. Uh, there are more. There are probably more question marks in this starting rotation than there were uh, with that team. That's fair to say. But they also went out that year, and I believe didn't they get uh, Jake Peavy? Uh, for that stretch run, they did. They did, yeah. Um, and then he bought so, a duck boat. And then he bought a duck boat. Um, and, and and PV wasn't great. He pitched to like a four. He could right? Didn't he get LASIK like after that season too? I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, I I would feel comfortable investing in this team. Um, so bring yeah. up bring up Duran and uh, go get Scherzer. Yeah, Casas and down or Duran are nose for me uh, to to talk about the trading good prospects part. Uh, Downs I would trade for Scherzer, but that's probably it. Uh, The rest I would try, like the Dickens to hold on to those three. Um, And but I think that's the difficult thing because the guys that we talked about, like we talked about, Herman Marquez, who still has like three years of control left and is twenty six. I don't think. Like outside of the top three uh, prospects for the Red Sox, I don't know if I have the firepower to get that done because he has so much control left and he's and he's young. Um, and some of the other guys that we talked about that have control left, they're going to want those teams would want a, a better piece, probably something like Downs. And I don't know if I'd feel great about doing that. Um, so I think Scherzer would be the only guy that I would give up Downs for. Um, and then the rest, I think I. Which I, which I hope wouldn't just take them out of the the starting pitching market, but I mean it's still it's a farm's in better shape, but it's not outstanding. So no, it's it's not outstanding, but there's a lot of interesting good players in the top fifteen or so of that yeah. farm that I think you could really get something done, and I think that. Certain teams might actually value Gilberto Jimenez almost as much as they value Jeter Downs. Uh, he, he's very well thought of in circles, so I think that True. that's a name that uh, 
you know, could also get you somebody. Um, but yeah, I, I think the only two that are very, very off limits, like you said, are, are Casas and, and Duran. Uh, I feel less strongly about Downs, but that kind of leads us into our next question um, from the pesky poll. He says, heard a lot about Jaron Duran getting called up as soon as he's in AAA, but Jeter Downs is also in AAA and has been hitting well as of late uh, and plays a position that the Red Sox need more production out of a second base. What's his timeline? Um you know, Downs is also younger um, than than Duran by about two years. He's only 22. He does just have a 91 WRC plus, and he's striking out at 32.6% uh, rate here in, in AAA. You're right, he has come on a little bit as of late, but I think there's still clearly a lot more work that needs to be done for me, uh, at least until Duran, or I should say Downs, gets the call. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And Downs is, again, somebody who's not currently on the 40-man, so they'd have to make some room, which uh, even with the development, I don't think I would feel bad about dumping Santana for him. There are certainly ways to open up that spot, but it, it does make it slightly more difficult, uh, him not being on the 40-man already. I'm not sure he's a huge upgrade over Michael Chavis right now. That's not to say that I don't yeah, think Downs fair. is going to be a better player going forward. I absolutely do. But I mean, Chavis has already had a taste of the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to our next listener question. Uh, this one's from Josh Brown. He says, Jay Grom has been uh, putting together a string of pretty decent starts. Uh, what's his timeline and future look like? That's a really interesting question. Uh, so I actually pulled up his start log uh, and looked at those. And Me too. At, at his most recent one, five uh, and two-thirds, eight strikeouts, three earned runs. Um, before that, four and a third uh, with zero earned runs, seven strikeouts. Uh, before that, four uh, with two earned runs, four strikeouts. And the last one I'll read here, uh, one before that at the beginning of June the 3rd, uh, five innings, eight strikeouts, Three earned runs, um, yeah, definitely encouraging. What do you What do you think about uh, Mr. Jay Groom? So I'm not super encouraged. Uh, he's 22 at high A, so I would expect the strikeouts to be there, which mm-hmm. is nice to see. Um, still a lot of walks and still too hittable. Yeah, and I think we're getting to the point where like the age becomes a factor at the level. Like he still hasn't made the jump from A ball yet. Um, and he's 22. So, I mean, at a minimum, we're looking at a year double A, year triple A. So we're looking at like two years out with him. Um, but I, I'm just not sure I'm seeing a lot out of him. The 49 strikeouts and 35 innings is really nice. That's really nice to see. But everything else is not great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the 37 hits, too, in in uh, 35 innings is, is quite a lot for somebody – who has the type of stuff or or had the type of stuff that Jay Groom had. Um, I I still kind of think that he plays better as a trade chip than he does like a, a piece to hang on to because, you know, a lot of teams thought of him as the best pitcher in that draft when he went 12th in 2016. He is off of Tommy John. So if somebody sees something in the 6'6 lefty that they really like, you know, maybe you can get some piece to help you now uh, for a guy like Groom rather than, 
you know, hanging on and, and, and having to deal with eventually having to add him to the 40 man. And, you know, what do you do with a guy who's 22 and high A and still has so many questions? I, I don't know if that's a, a great guy to, to protect in a rule five draft. Uh, they have so many guys like that to protect. Yeah. It just, it seems like we're, we're approaching the end of the line there, which is a bummer. But he does have value, right? Like, he, someone's someone's got to see some shine on on Jake Room, right? Maybe. I, I, think, I think I so. think it's it's time for him not to start anymore. Okay. Maybe he can have some more utility as a reliever. Also, you know, another team who has a better forty man situation, and maybe in a situation like the Red Sox were. Uh, what was it last year when they got guys like Hudson Potts and stuff like that, guys who were going to have to be uh, rule five protected uh, by other teams that had sort of a log jam. Now the Red Sox have improved their system and they are the team in that sort of situation. So there could be some takers that like the potential and have the space. Yeah. Just throwing some stuff out there. We'll I see. see Maybe it'll stick. Who knows? Um, all right. And the last question uh, comes from Joseph Victor 81 And I think we answered this one as well. He says, other than Richards, which other Red Sox pitcher will be slash has been affected the most by the crackdown on foreign substances? And as Keaton keenly pointed out, it is Martin Perez. Was there anyone else that stood out to you or was Martin really the only one? Yeah, that was really the only one. Everybody else, it was not. It was like, it might have been slightly down, but it just could. Looking at their entire season line, it looked like just noise and nothing that was really too predominant. Yeah, if you look at uh, the spin rates for uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, it's just pure chaos. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <There's> nothing. <laughs> yeah, to be his were from actually that. up in his previous start. So, <laughs> go figure. Yeah. Um, and, and to close the show out, uh, Pedro Martinez uh, has been vocal about this, and he says that the only thing you need is the rosin bag and sweat from your forehead. So the goat says you don't need the sticky stuff. But he also had, like, arms for fingers. So <laughs> he didn't need anything to help with grip. No, he didn't. Uh, that's why he's the goat. So that's <laughs> a great way to end it with Pedro um, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, check out Over Monster for all of your Red Sox written uh, articles and news. Check out the other podcasts on our site. We have the Red Sox on Deck podcast focusing on prospects with Shelly Verstrait and Bob Osgood. We have the Red Sox uh, Over the Monster podcast with Matt and Brian. And we have the Precap podcast with Shelly and Keaton uh, previewing and recapping all of the Red Sox series. Uh, subscribe, five-star review, all that great stuff. Thank you for joining us and making us part of your routine. Keaton, thank you, and we will be with you again next week.